Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast featuring lead pastor Doug Sherman. For more information about Grace Harvest Church, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you as Pastor Doug shares this week's message. How many of you guys are on a time crunch this morning? Schedule? You got an afternoon free? (laughs) Nobody. Nobody's even laughing. Okay. All right. If you've got a Bible or electronic device, if you would open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll give you just a minute to get there. We're continuing this series uh, that we have been on for several weeks called Faithful to the End. Uh, It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church in Thessalonica, and uh, it is the first letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the early churches, written somewhere about 51 to 53 um, AD. Uh, It was roughly in time perspective, when you open up the Bible and look at the New Testament, you see Matthew, the book of Matthew. Uh, the letter to the Thessalonican church, the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, was actually written about 13 years before the book of Matthew in terms of time span, the letter to the epistles, and, and in that realm, the church was growing and letters were being sent. And so this lands right in the beginning. The beauty of this letter as we've been walking through it is, is you get to hear the heart of the apostle Paul to a church that he planted, to a church that he uh, gave, his, uh, gave of his life and of the wisdom and direction of the Holy Spirit. And so we want to we jump right into to chapter 4. Starting at verse 1, if you're there, say I'm there. Amen. It's probably many of you, so we'll just get going. Verse 1, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger of all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man But God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you, now, concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, and for that is indeed what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Somebody say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord that we have a record of a letter that was written to an early church that shows us the heart of an apostle. So we talked about it being the oldest letter. The apostle Paul wrote this letter. This church was heavily persecuted. It was one of the first churches that was planted, primarily made up of Greeks and some Jews of where it was. Paul was eager to have a connection as he traveled with this church that he planted. In fact, uh, early on, the early chapters, it says that he could bear it no longer, that he, he needed news. So he sent Timothy to go see how the church was doing and to, to understand what was going on and then bring word back. Remember, this wasn't the age where, you know, 
We can just text how things are going or, or just send a message or a Facebook message or let's video or, or Skype. This was a time that if you wanted communication, you had to write a letter or physically go. Tracking with me? And so here we are, and this is how we land. If I, if I had to just summarize a little bit about this first letter, it really, it, uh, the sections we've been walking through have been about the holiness of uh, the encouragement of the early church to be holy, to honor God, and to remember that Jesus Christ is returning again. In fact, several times he repeats that over and over and over, and this is where we land. If I had to summarize uh, the, these first 13 verses, I would just simply say that first section, verse 2 and 3, honoring God calls for sanctification. We'll talk about this in a minute. That honoring God calls for a purification in our lives. We'll talk about that also. And then honoring God requires a prioritization of his word and his work in our lives. So honoring God calls for sanctification. Just a little explanation here. Sanctification uh, defined or just to help you. Sanctification is the process by which, according to the will of God, we yield and let Him work in our lives. It's a process that, that then yields us to be set apart for God's use in our life. That, that as we continue to yield and obey, and the Holy Spirit continues to work, we are made more and more in the image of Christ. Somebody say amen. Come on, which is the goal of the gospel of Jesus Christ working in us, and then we get to partake in the holiness of God and what He wants, and in the journey of God, He uses us, and we pour our life out for Him. That, that it's a progressive work, that sanctification isn't an instantaneous, you're made perfect at the moment of salvation. How many of you know that we're a work in progress. The sanctification, as we begin to understand what the Holy Spirit sounds like and how He leads, we begin to yield and obey, yield and obey, and pretty soon it begins to alter and shape how we think and what we give our lives to, and thereby we begin to understand the will and call of God for our lives. It becomes also the filter. We begin to think differently and we can see clearly and understand um, ways of God as we read and are led by the Holy Holy Spirit, we're shaped more and more into the image of Christ. Sanctification. That we understand that, that, that the Apostle Paul understood that it was a progressive work. And, and in verse 1, he says, just as you're already doing, do so more and more. So it wasn't as though they understood that they were already doing it and said, okay, you're doing enough. He, his encouragement was, continue what you're doing and do it more and more. Love one another. Yield your life. Yield your body. Honor God and all of what you have and who you are. That he encouraged them to follow the will of God. Sanctification is a process of cooperating with the Holy Spirit in our lives. How many of you know that this is a journey in the progress, like we understand that, that, that as the Holy Spirit begins to draw us and we begin to understand, like, wow, I don't feel so good yielding to the things that I used to yield towards. Could be the Holy Spirit speaking to you and moving you towards, come on, not that, move towards this. The things that used to bring you pleasure in, a, in, a, in another realm, all of a sudden that are not pleasing to God, the Holy Spirit begins to work to change your mind and bring conviction. It's what the, it's what the Bible says that the work of the Holy Spirit is here to do. Convict the world of their sin. So to bring them to a place that you become aware that, wow, my actions, my deeds, my thoughts, my, my feelings, my, my unctions are not pleasing to the Lord, that, Lord, you're working in me and I, there is another way. 
I shouldn't do that. I should do this. And the apostle Paul says, the more you yield to God, do more so. Yield that way. And so it requires that we understand that, that we, that we are understanding that we're going through a process of sanctification. Honoring God calls for even a, a purification the, that, that he, he talks about abstain from sexual immorality. I just want to talk a minute about that. Specifically, he's talking about the idea of self-control in the area of sexual immorality. Well, the word here used is uh, the word pornea. For some of you, it might sound familiar. It's a short word. Um, it's a word that we also add to it and add pornography to it. The word, the word pornea in the Greek simply means a surrendering of sexual purity. Think about this a minute. Surrendering of, of sexual purity. It can be interchanged with, and we sometimes hear a word like fornication in and around it, um, the act of sex, the, the outside of marriage, adultery, prostitution, or idolatry. Those are some areas that it's, a, that it's applied towards so that you understand it pretty much covers any sexual thing outside of the context of marriage of husband and wife, male and female. This is what we're talking about. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. In fact, if you, if you take the word, the word that we might be used to, pornography, it means the selling off of sexual purity. Think about this. Think about this in our culture of some of the things that we take lightly that the scripture gives great, great weight towards. Think about some of the things we allow in our culture, maybe even in our life, and we're dismissive about it, but at the root of it, and when we understand with some clarity what the word means, how offensive it is, the selling off of sexual purity. The Apostle Paul is saying, wait, wait, there is another way. I'm calling you to abstain and to change your behavior. Why was he writing to this church? First letter about this. Well, let's talk about the culture that came out of. This was one of the first Gentile churches. Uh, they, 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 they probably as new believers, they were struggling with your old way of life. And so with their old way. Now think about this. There are people in this room today that are in a journey with God, coming to encounter Jesus, God's presence. Their life is being impacted. But, but there's still this struggle with the past, or even maybe with the present, of the desires of the flesh, of the things they yield to. This is real today as it was 2,000 years ago. This is very pertinent today, and, and don't, don't write me off or, or shut down. I just want to read something that says, Sexual morality in the Greco-Roman world was markedly lax. While marriage was widely upheld as a cultural ideal, sexual fidelity or the commitment of sex inside the marriage covenant within marriage was not necessarily expected. Husbands might with impunity seek the company of a mistress, concubine, or prostitute. The role of the wife was to manage the household and provide legitimate children. The situation was intensified by the presence in various places of religious cults which encouraged the engagement of temple prostitutes as an act of worship. The culture around this church and around this group of believers was intense. 
the sexual atmosphere and pervasiveness of just what was allowed to happen normally around the culture and what was, what was deemed acceptable behavior in culture, what was, was, was promiscuous and vile and debauchery, it was out there. Paul is addressing it. He's addressing sexual sin as a sin against your brother, a sin against another. The idea that when you engage sexually with somebody outside of the bounds of marriage, you are are offending them in the act, just as you are offending your own body. In fact, Scripture writes, Apostle Paul writes that it's also a sin against your body. That begins to defile you. We need to understand this and the gravity of what it means when when the Apostle Paul is writing in love. The whole context of 1 Thessalonians is out of love and care. Think about this. The Apostle Paul is willing to say the hard stuff right off the bat. I love you guys. I can't wait to see you. I pray all the good stuff that, that, that you continue doing more and more of it. But about this thing, this one area... I want to tell you, it's time to abstain. It's time to stop. You've got to be aware of the situation that's going on. Because the other side is is that there could have been people coming into the church who didn't know any other way. They could have heard the gospel. They could have liked being around the people. And if nobody says something, so the apostle Paul writes this letter. And it's quite possible that that women in the culture who were even in the early church couldn't say anything about it because of the place, status, or or what what the community lines were about that. So Paul writes that, and he writes several times in the New Testament, that God is the avenger of this sexual immorality. That it's the Lord who will work through and he he will make things right and bring justice to the situation. Think about this, that, that in this area of life, When we offend another and offend ourselves that the Lord is going to deal with that in our lives. Oh, okay, okay. Thank you, Apostle Paul, for warning us and giving us good counsel. Good counsel. I have a quote from Timothy Keller who says, In sharp contrast with our culture, this is 2018, The Bible teaches that the essence of marriage is a sacrificial commitment to the good of the other. That means that love is more fundamentally action than emotion. But in talking this way, there's a danger of falling into the opposite air that characterized many ancient and traditional societies. It is possible to see marriage as merely a social transaction, a way of doing your duty to family, tribe, and society. Traditional societies made the family the ultimate value in life, and so marriage was a mere transaction that helped your family's interests. By contrast, contemporary Western societies make the individual's happiness the ultimate value. And so marriage becomes primarily an experience of romantic fulfillment. But the Bible sees God as the supreme good, not the individual or the family. And that gives us a view of marriage that intimately unites feelings and duty, passion and promise. That is because of the heart of the biblical idea of marriage is the covenant. That was Timothy Keller from The Meaning of Marriage. The idea here is that God had a design from the beginning. And his design is that two would be united and they become one flesh, husband and wife, male and female. But it doesn't stop there. In fact, it doesn't stop. The the journey into marriage, God has some words about that too in sexuality. And I'm going to read you something in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 
verse 3 and 5. It's okay, we meddle a little bit. It's the scripture, we're going to read it. Here we go, verse 3. It says, a husband should give to his wife her sexual rights. And likewise, a wife to her husband. It is not the wife who has the rights to her own body, but the husband. Think about this for a moment. In the same way, it's not the husband who has the rights to his own body, but the wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual agreement for a specified time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then resume your relationship so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. For all the married ones here in this place, I want to encourage you, as you read through the scripture and allow the, the, the word of God to, to, to work into your life and let it uh, contrast and, and even offend and move through and, and, and call you up, here is a way that you can interact with your spouse and talk freely about. Just uh, as you dialogue, it's an area that may even bring some conviction or, or maybe much freedom. I mean, you know, you never know. I, I've had conversations where it's the husband who's like, ah, she wants too much. And it's like, well, let me read you a scripture, brother. <laughs> and likewise, the other way, but, but we'll let the scripture talk on that. Even in Hebrews 13 verse 4, it says, marriage must be honored among all and the marriage bed kept undefiled. For God will judge sexually immoral people and adulterers and adulterers now think think here the heart of god is that you would be well the heart of god is that you would be you would be kept in a place of of honoring him and and allowing just the the, the fullness of god to work in and through your life this is the other side that they're saying hey wait a minute all of the stuff that you can get into and all of the passions of the flesh and all of, of the things that, that rise up, you don't have to partake in. Author and theologian John Stott said, these texts indicate that sex is a divinely given gift to be enjoyed and not withheld. Within the context of marriage, if I wanted to be more explicit in demonstrating the beauty and wonder of sex, I would turn to the pages of the Song of Solomon. But that is probably not necessary. It is probably worth noting that sex within marriage is for pleasure and not just a necessity for the bearing of children. Suffice it to say that sex is not evil, though sin has corrupted this beautiful gift in a number of ways. Paul describes sexual immorality an impurity, a thing that defiles the pure thing, the thing that gets in there and works its way and has its way with, with you to lead you into, it, it, it dirties, dirties the clean thing, so to speak. That is what it does. But Paul calls us to control our own body and holiness and honor. And so, so how do we do that? Can I just have a few more minutes? few more, come on. So honoring God calls that we prioritize. Here's what it is, that we yield and prioritize, that we give our life to what the word of God says. So 1 Thessalonians 4.8 says, therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. I want you to think about this and let this soak in a minute. Before you dismiss me or say, eh, not too interested in what, I just read you some scripture from the apostle Paul who we believe is one who's called by God and is a church planter, an overseer, who's inspired writing. Here's what he writes about his own writings. 
Don't disregard this, because if you do, you're not ignoring man, you're ignoring God. In other words, that we yield our life to the instruction of what we read here in this way. Paul ends his discussion on sanctification and the purification process with this. To to disregard it in these areas is to disregard God. That the point of his authority in this teaching is from God. Modern culture has tried to redefine sexuality as a personal right to be exercised any way an individual wishes. Think, Think about what I'm saying here. Sexual behavior is considered a personal choice, akin to the decision of whether to buy a house or rent a condo. At the same time, popular opinion has all but removed the word sin from our culture's vocabulary. The only sexual expression considered wrong is what is deemed distasteful to the definer. I'm here this morning to tell you that there is another way. And fortunately, it's never been our privilege as men to define what sin is. We were not the creators in this element, and so we don't get to define it. God does. The one who created this brings with clarity, as we look in the beginning, God created the first man, Adam, and brought to him the first woman. Even when he joined them together, he pronounced it very good. At that time, God introduced sexuality and he sent, set the boundaries for its expression. The two becoming one flesh. He then defined any sexual activity outside of the husband-wife relationship as a violation of his gift. Uh, fornication, homosexuality, pornography, lust are all violations of God's intent when he created Sex. God created it. He designed it. He ordained it. He called it good. And he called it um, excellent within the bounds. His two creations fit together. This is a huge deal. His two creations fit together. As they come together in a sexual union, that they fit in such a way as to do what he wanted it to do. He wanted them to procreate. He wanted them to have pleasure in a way that he designed in the marriage covenant. The two becoming one creates a new entity, a family, that can bring forth life in a way that Nothing else can. However, what God creates, in thinking about this, Satan perverts. Satan perverts. And when, we, and when we use sexuality just for entertainment or just to satisfy our lust, we cheapen the beauty of this powerful gift. And we defy the one who created it. Come on, am I, just, am I talking to anyone this morning? Come on. So, so here we have. And so here's what we must come to realize. And I understand that, that sexual sin begins with temptation, as all sin does. And when we refuse to acknowledge God's boundaries, we allow lust to dictate our choice. I just wanted to find the word lust for a minute so that we're not lost here. I just wrote that lust, a strong desire of a sexual nature. The word itself is used about 28 or 29 times in, I think, the entirety of the Bible, usually with a negative connotation. In the Hebrew, the word can be both positive and or negative. So, so just so you understand, just this strong urging that, that would lead us 
to want to ignore God's law and follow the passions of our own flesh, understanding that there is another way. It's the way of God. It's the way that's good. It's the way that has life. Sexual sin defiles more than just our physical body. It has spiritual significance. Come on. Almost every book of the Bible talks about sexual immorality, indicating that God considers it a grave thing, a serious matter. How we, how we control the members of our body, how we interact in this realm with one another. If you want to read it, a good read is Romans 13, the whole chapter. Read the whole book of Romans. It's a great book. It will bring illumination to the situation of life and to, our, to, our, to where we're at here in our desperate need of a Savior. You see, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, 1 Thessalonians, out of love. He, he, he gave the call to action and the, and the cautions and the warnings about how they lived and the encouragement about what they should continue to do out of love. Don't hear me this morning as me saying you're, you're condemned if you're currently engaged in the process. Though I will say that if, you, that if you give your life over to that and you continue ignoring the will of God for your life, you are actively saying, I reject the good word of God and I'll go and do my own thing. Okay, And you'll eat of the consequences of that behavior in your life and in relationships with others. But this is the beauty of the grace of God. Even in the songs that we were singing, even what Pastor Doug illustrated during worship time, is that Jesus came to set the captive free and to bring forgiveness to those who, 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 who are burdened under the weight of sin and to bring freedom to those who are bound, right? Like, like right here in this area, that if, you, if you're thinking through in this moment, thinking, man, this is me. I want to encourage you this morning. There's hope. His name is Jesus. And there's something that begins to happen when we begin to acknowledge, okay, I have given my life over to these things and I want freedom. That we allow the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to us. And when he does that we begin to yield our life toward his leanings, urgings. Like, oh, this isn't right. I shouldn't be doing this. That we actively work to stop the behavior that isn't pleasing to God. Because, because the next chapter talks about the return of Christ. And that one day, the hope of the believer is that Jesus Christ is returning again. That we would live our lives honoring him towards holiness and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? I believe it's the heart of God to always bring a clarity and even an exposing of the condition of man. It's there by the way that we can see that, all right, Lord, you are good and I am not. But he never left us alone and he sent his Holy Spirit to help lead and guide and convict us and lead and guide in truth so that we wouldn't be left alone. And this morning, I want to give you the opportunity, if you don't know Christ, Jesus, in the way that we know him, as the lover of our soul, as the one who brings forgiveness, as the one who, who makes a way 
who gives life. We want to pray with you this morning. We want to talk with you. There are men and women back at the cross. If you need prayer also for, for anything, we would like to pray with you back at the cross. But we don't want you to leave without hearing the gospel or the good news of Christ in your life and for you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you realize, I am caught up in a tangled web of sin. And I want forgiveness. I want to change. I need help. We would like to pray with you also. Back at the cross, right here as we close. If it's a revelation you're having right now, you can pray as I pray, right when we close. Really simple. Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, reveal to me. Bring people around. Help me to confess to another brother or sister that would, that would be able to journey with me and walk with me through this process. It's powerful. All the heart of God is that you would be free, that you would be well, that you would grow to know him more. In Jesus' name.